Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Homicide is the third leading cause of death for youth between the ages of 14 and 24. Violence among teens and young adults in the U.S. is an important public health issue. And in addition to those fatal violent injuries, over 400,000 young people in that age bracket seek care in EDs for violent injuries or assault each year. The emergency department has become a primary setting for many violence prevention initiatives, but their effectiveness has been limited by high attrition rates in this population. Today we're talking to Jessica Roche, lead author of an upcoming AEM article entitled Tracking Assault-Injured Drug-Using Youth in Longitudinal Research, Follow-Up Methods. She and her team at the University of Michigan Injury Prevention Center aimed to describe methods for retention in youth violence studies and the characteristics of hard-to-reach participants. Ms. Roche has been with the CDC-funded U of M Injury Prevention Center since 2010 and is currently their managing director. She has several years of experience managing hospital injury data and managing hospital-based youth violence prevention interventions. Her expertise lies in developing, evaluating, and translating evidence-based programs into practice, and she's being interviewed today by Dr. Ashley Gray, a fourth-year resident in emergency medicine here at Brown. Don't forget to hit the full text of this article on our blog at brownemblog.com. So hi, Ms. Roach. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit about your research? Yes. Um, So my team at the University of Michigan uh, Injury Prevention Center has been working with the community in Flint, Michigan for over 20 years on assessments and interventions to improve both the physical and mental health of our community. Um, Guided by community boards, my team's work as emergency medicine physicians at the Level 1 Trauma Center here, and data from the emergency department interventions to prevent youth violence became a central focus for my team due to the need in the community. Um, So then my team and I have successfully worked with the community to develop evidence-based youth violence prevention interventions that can be used in emergency department settings, such as safer teens. And in order to evaluate these programs effectively, we had to develop a robust follow-up protocol to measure outcomes. This study that we're going to talk about today describes a protocol that we used during our Flint uh, Youth Injury Study, which is a two-year prospective longitudinal cohort study measuring the prevalence of substance use and violence um, among a sample of youth 14 to 24 seeking ED care. This study recruited two different groups. Uh, Both groups reported past six-month drug use on a screening survey. One group was seeking care in the emergency department for assault injuries, while the second group was seeking care for non-assault injuries. We thought it was important to share the methods that we use to track and complete follow-ups with our participants, as there are several promising ED and hospital-based interventions for reducing youth violence in in literature right now. However, their effectiveness has been limited by high attrition rates. High attrition rates are associated with compromised internal study validity, and while statistical techniques do exist to compensate for attrition, such techniques are less preferable to achieving high follow-up rates that allow for a complete understanding of outcome data. Um, Also, it should be noted that external validity is also compromised by attrition rates. 
that are unequal across patient populations. So we really wanted uh, our successful follow-up strategies for tracking and retention of our hard-to-reach assault-injured population to uh, be published out there. Gotcha. How did you become interested in this topic? So I joined the University of Michigan Injury Prevention Center in 2010 and started working on their youth violence prevention projects. Even though youth violence is a significant public health program problem that negatively impacts youth, families, and communities, uh, youth violence is preventable. And working on the projects at the center and our partner center, the Michigan Youth Violence Prevention Center, I've seen how effective these programs can be, and there's really hope there. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, your study, it covered a long recruitment period. Did you think there were any changes in community violence during that time? So um, the study recruited from December 2009 to September 2011. During the longitudinal study, we did measure community violence reports from our participants, and we also tracked community violence as part of another study, and we didn't see any significant changes uh, in community violence during this time. Okay. Um, presuming that some drugs are more difficult to obtain than others, such as like heroin versus marijuana, for instance, did you match the control group to the to the study group for the specifics of drug use, or was it simply any drug use listed over the preceding six months? Uh, the assault injury group and the comparison group were not matched based on the specific types of drugs they used, just any drug use in the past six months. However, consistent with the literature, the most commonly reported drug use by youth in both groups was marijuana, uh, which was reported by 95% of youth, and marijuana did not significantly differ between the two groups. Uh, alcohol and non-medical use of prescription drugs were the next most commonly reported substance use, which did not differ between groups either. And finally, use of other illicit drugs were least common and reported by about 1 in 10 youth. Uh, but was reported more often among youth presenting for assault injuries than youth presenting for other reasons. Okay. This study required a lot of personal contact information. Did you know any distrust among study participants of the researchers or like any reticence to provide this type of information? Yeah, so with any research study, researchers should expect there to be mistrust from participants and should be aware of strategies to reduce mistrust and increase participation from all of our participants because their voice is really important in research. This is especially true in communities that have faced both historical and current discriminatory events. Um, our team's work has worked really hard to make sure that our community and our participants feel comfortable and knowledgeable about what we're asking them to do and how we use that information. There are many strategies we use to help reduce some of this mistrust. First, many members of our team are residents of the community um, they have their trusted voices for our participants. Uh, next, we train staff so that they're able to explain informed consent to our participants in an understandable way and make sure that all of our participants understand that what they're doing is voluntary, uh, that they understand what they will be asked to do, and how their data is protected. Uh, additionally, this process is all done in private. This is very important to us to make sure that our participants feel as comfortable as possible providing information. Um, and I think the rate of follow-ups we were able to achieve on our studies really speaks to the ability that our staff uh, had to reduce some of the mistrust that our participants had for research. Okay. Your team went through tremendous physical and financial efforts to make those contacts. What would you recommend for researchers who want to con connect to study participants but may not have such extensive resources? So I think 
Our study shows that it's very important to not only capture follow-up assessments of those easy-to-reach people in your study, but to also work to complete follow-up assessments among hard-to-reach participants in order to get a more complete and true picture of your participants. Uh, this does take time and resources, but will allow for a stronger evaluation of your program. Uh, I also want to add something that was missing in our study that we've been able to adopt a lot more since is the use of technology. Uh, during our study, uh, our participants didn't report having active emails and many didn't use social media accounts frequently and didn't want to, the study to text them due to the cost uh, of their cell phone plans. Today, however, this has changed and we're using some of these methods to reach our participants. However, it's important to note there are some special considerations for confidentiality that need to be considered when using these approaches. And it's not clear whether these uh, technology methods require substantially less time or resources. Okay. I imagine your research assistants developed relationships with participants throughout their communications. Do you note that like any one researcher connected to participants more than others and perhaps had improved follow-up? And did you feel like that making of interpersonal connections biased any of your outcomes at all? So our research assistants really enjoyed interacting with the youth. However, we took time in our methodology to ensure that we minimized bias. Uh, our research staff were phenomenal and extremely professional. They understood research and their role in the study. Um, but to ensure that contact with staff did not bias reporting, all surveys completed by youth were on a tablet computer with the RA not knowing what the answers were. And we did uh, have timeline follow-back measurements, which were done by structured interview. And these were recorded, uh, these were tape recorded and then coded later for fidelity to structure. And these steps were crucial to minimize social desirability bias. And further, um, RAs were not assigned to one participant. Uh, we were not conducting case management, but follow-up of formal survey questions as part of an observational study. In our studies that uh, are interventions, such as Safer Teens, which I mentioned earlier, it's critical that our follow-up staff be blinded to assessment condition and not part of the intervention team. Great. What do you want everyday ED providers to take away most from your work? So our team wants everyday ED clinicians to know that youth violence is preventable and it is critical to continue to study evidence-based methods for improving the safety of our patients. When any ED has poor follow-up rates, the quality of the stuff study really suffers. The methods described in our manuscript to reduce attrition could improve the quality of evaluations of hospital and ED-based violence prevention programs, as well as many other follow-up ED programs, and help promote more evidence-based best ED practices. Thanks so much, Ms. Rose, for talking with us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Find the full text of this article on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Guy Depensa, and we'll see you next time.